Your weekly ritual of talk about that. It's a ritual now? I don't know. That you makes know, it sound very... Yeah. It sounds very... Uh, like the Druids. <laughs> and we're off to a strong start on this episode. To gather and... <laughs> a, a ritual can be... To go fetch a goat You should have rituals like, like brushing your teeth. Wait a minute. That's what, what we're like. <laughs> Taking <Hold> showers. <laughs> Dude, I had a checkup. I had my uh, cleaning. Oh. Which I go to the dentist... Not as often as I should, especially in my twenties. I didn't go at all, hardly. I remember, and I got like gingivitis. You were like, I ain't going to no dentist. No, I just, I'm just, I grew up being scared of the dentist and stuff. I hate needles and I hate drills and not that everybody loves it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't have a lot of money either, and so I just didn't grow up in a family that was just like we were not a. Um, we fixed our cars when the check engine light came on. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? <laughs> right. We were not it must like be time to change the oil. We were not maintenance people, <laughs> so we did not maintain our bodies or our automobiles. So I just didn't grow up in that culture, yeah. and we were broke a lot too. That's part of it. But anyway, so I started going more. But every time I go to the dentist, it's like you go and you get a cleaning, and if you don't go enough, the cleaning hurts. They got all like, oh, yeah. they're digging under the under your gum line, and they're like, this gum line's inflamed. And you're like, yeah, no. Do you floss? And you're like, no, not going to. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> so if you told me flossing would add a year to my life, I still would not do it. <laughs> what about five years? I'd still be on the fence about it. I just would be like, is it because the, the last five years of your life aren't that great anyway. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, how, do, how do you know? I'm saying if you're like an old man, you're not like, oh, this is the best. <laughs> like, no. Okay. So, and plus you got to spend that five years flossing. <laughs> You know, to cash in. Oh so forget God. it. But anyway, I go, so I go for a cleaning. And it's always rough. And then they tell you how many cavities you've developed over the, but I had my cleaning last week. No cavities, John. Wow. I felt like uh, I get a little badge. Yeah. A little gold star. A little gold, they gave you a little piece of candy. Plus it, it's helped me know that I can get away with not going to the dentist for often. Cause I was like, look, I, I did good. No, I, this was six months. So I had a six, actually six months to well, maybe that, seven months, but that's the normal time. Yeah. I know, but they try to get you to come back every four months at my dentist. He's like, so we can schedule you four months from now. I'm like, no, no, you can't. That's do like that. telling people that they need an oil change every 3000 when we know it's 5,000. Well, if you use full synthetic, like I do, it's actually more like seven or eight. Right. Yeah. But they, but that's like, we grew up with that 3000 number, which was probably like, the oil change people put that in our... Oh, my goodness. You know what I'm saying? You know, of all conspiracies Big out oil, there, which big oil really is the thing. <laughs> so, You know what? That's the thing, though. My check engine light, though, or my oil change oil light comes on. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah. And I, I leave it on for... Like, I'm going to get an oil change today, actually. You you have a change oil light and you just let it go. You're like, ah. Well, because I know. Like, oh, that's for... It's, right. it's doing it's it doing like 3,500 or whatever. And, yeah. and I'm going for like six. Do you I, check it, though, to make sure it's not just a viscous cauldron of black yeah, I check goo i checked the oil mm-hmm. yeah do you say you know people in the south say or in the nashville say oil oil yeah did you change oil, oil? change i did so i did these car commercials in louisville mm-hmm. so i had to learn to say louisville the right way make sure i was which i know how to say louisville because oh, yeah, how hard yeah, was that but they said don't say louisville yeah, you would never say that you're from knoxville yeah knoxville louisville knoxville yeah uh but Sevierville, but so I knew that, but then there was a couple of, there's copy on all these commercials and one of them was uh, oil change mm. and it was hard for me not to say oil change. It would have been fine. I guess, but it's just, you want to be like, it's hard to know like when you want to come off as folksy versus illiterate. Right. There's like a there's a line, line line between like, oh, he's one of us too. He makes us sound dumb. Yeah. We say oil. 
Although you are getting more northern. Louisville's right, interesting for town. Living. I speak for a living. Well, yeah, no, and I speak for a living. So, like, some of my southern accent has been kind of weeded out anyway because I'm trying to be more. But I, I, I always tell people I dial up the intensity of my southernness given whatever the crowd is yeah. giving me. Yeah. And I find if I do like a northeastern crowd, but by the end I'm like Larry the Cable Guy without meaning to be, because I'm like this is what they want. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just a subconscious probably. Yeah, but when I do the podcast, I'm not like hey y'all. Now somebody may hear me that's from California and be like, oh, he's got totally southern totally southern accent. But I'm saying I, it's way less than when I grew up. I mean, we grew up Knoxville, Tennessee has a very specific accent. Oh, it's super. And yeah. So does Nashville. And living in both places, that Lauren always laugh. Like yesterday, uh, our pool is not open yet. Mm-hmm. And this is such a hard life, Johnny. Right, life. it is hard. <laughs> but actually, we, we had to put a new liner in because the, the liner was so old it got ripped. Because did I tell you the story? I don't know. <sighs> Laura, you're going to love this. Like, at the top of the pool around, it was, I mean, it's a 20-year-old liner. We bought oh, house, okay? How do you even? And so it was like brown at top or gray. And then Laura decided to clean it one day. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's white. Oh, wow. Well. Okay. <laughs> it's like the clean spot under your couch. When you move the couch, you're like, yeah. oh, no, put the yeah, couch put back. Put the couch back, yeah. <laughs> so she took a magic eraser, which is fine. It's not, you know, you know Yeah, magic erasers it. are incredible. And she scoured all that so it looked really, really nice, mm-hmm. except it was the dirt holding it together. Oh, and it started getting so, like, she apart. Was, so then we had little holes in it, and then it turned to a rip. And so I'm not saying that it's her fault. Uh-huh. I'm just saying it never ripped before she cleaned it, so that I know of. Or the holes were there, but they were covered up. They were like, you know, hidden in the <sighs> Won't dirt. That preach! Oh my gosh, guys! Some of y'all right now. Some of y'all need to take the magic erase, the magic eraser. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and run it over your lives, <laughs> and you'll see the holes that have been there the whole time. And some of them might get. And bigger. he'll tear it like he tore the veil. <laughs> well, I don't know what'll happen. Some of y'all putting old pool water in new wine skins. Wait, I'm to... new new pool liners, <laughs> new old, pool old, skins. old chlorine and new pool liners. Wait, I can't remember. I'm gonna start a pool company called Pool Skins. New Pool Skins. <laughs> that sounds gross. Oh, yeah, it does. Really does. And so we had to put a new liner in, but it's still not done. Like mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the, any insulation. We haven't got all the stuff. So all that being said, we're driving down the road yesterday. Talks is all about Nashville vernacular. Yeah, and we're coming back from Atlanta. And I was, she was like, but I, you know, if I wanted to go outside, you know, I would at least want to, you know, be able to dip my feet in the pool. I said, well, just use the hose. And she goes, don't you mean hose pipe? Because that's what <laughs> <laughs> the hose pipe. And she said it like that hose pipe. But she made fun of me for so long. Yeah. And, uh, ambulance is what we say in Nashville. Yeah. I don't anymore. You you made fun of me. On Did you ambulance. say hose pipe? Did you ever say hose pipe? Oh, yeah. Growing up, I was hose pipe. The hose pipe. Yeah. Hose pipe. Yeah, you don't just say the hope. People ambulance, like, and then you say ambulance. Andrew will still say ambulance, and he'll yeah. catch himself like I do. But you, <laughs> if you get shamed enough by Johnny, you'll change anything. Oh, uh, see, I don't so, want that to be. I think uh, I have friends like that that are they don't reveal their true selves around me because they're like Johnny's got a joke loaded up for me. That's terrifying to me because I don't want to be that guy. I'm gonna try to be supportive. Oh, you're fine. I'm just teasing. All you right, didn't shame me. All right, but, I mean. It was enough. I needed to change that. Everyone in our group, my small group, because, you know, Curry and I are such misfits. We're we're middle-aged. We don't have children. I travel a ton. Well, did. And now it's starting back. But it's like, you know, Curry is a caregiver for somebody with special needs. It's like we're so weird. And then so we joined. You put us in a small we, we were in a small group with like 20s, people in their mid to late 20s and maybe early 30s. 
Well, I don't think I just put you there. Well, no, I'm saying like it made sense for us to run that group. I knew some of those people, you yeah. know, uh, like Scott and Brenner are our neighbors. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. And I, But I used to be young adults pastor for a few of these folks. Right. But it's like, okay, well, interestingly enough, we kind of have a similar life because, well, look, Curry and I, we don't have kids. They don't have kids. Even though they're, they don't have kids because they're just young. Some of them are young marrieds. Well, now they're having they're kids. Having kids, yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing because it's it, they're these babies. It's it's they're the cutest babies. Oh yeah, and like even Jeffrey's kids, like they're the most well behaved kids. Even Jeffrey's kids was that supposed to? Be? No, it's just I'm saying they're older. Like they're not babies, but they're just like oh, you know, they're Jeffrey. so like they don't melt. They don't melt down or anything. Like I'm just waiting for yeah, good kids. They are. Yeah, and they um, and the personalities. I just love it. You, it's great. You have a great group. I do, and I love my group. And so, yeah, like to your point about like I don't. I know that my job is weird, and I'm a little weird. But I, I it would bother me if I thought people were like holding back because they're like Johnny's got Johnny's going to roast me. I always wonder, every five minutes. You know, I'm writing about some important things. You know, right now, and I always wonder if people can start feeling that way about. You know, if we have a conversation about racism or about conspiracy theories or about whatever, you know, they already know exactly what you you would well, you're going to like yeah. call them on the carpet about it. Well, I mean, like the the book that comes out in October, it's called Not So Black and White. Yeah, me, uh, with me and Reggie, and I do a I use a lot of conversations I've had. Yeah, sometimes I change names. Sometimes I just went to the people and said, "Hey, can I can I write about that?" You didn't ask me. Did you use our conversation, Johnny? You've said nothing that affected me positively. Wow, interesting. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, I think it's just part of it. You go, I read some books and I'm going, they're talking so much. They're using real names even people yeah. in their churches or whatever. But I used to try to ask yeah. if it's okay. We all went to church. My small group and I went to church uh, for the first time Sunday. Nice. Uh, and we went to lunch. Uh, the first time since the pandemic hit that we were all together. And it's weird because it felt like it did. It felt like the old West because like when you'd start off on a wagon train, you know, like some of you, there'd be a whole different group when you got to where you were going. And that's the way it was with us. Cause there's like new babies. <laughs> We've expanded. That is a large, did, did Dane go? Dane went. This the cheeks on that kid. Let me tell you something. Holy moly. Another great parents, man. I saw that. I will say it is so exhausting. I saw Dane the other day. I was like, dude, it's just, it's yeah, so. He's not much. sleeping. I don't no, think. they're not. They're not sleeping. Well, they are. They get like two hours at a time. Like that's, that's kinda, enough. Come oh, on, my goodness, that's I all can't. you need. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm gonna go and take a nap. <laughs> this, I don't know what y'all are gonna do. <laughs> See, you are living now a life that none of us are living. It's I guess kind of enchanted a little bit. Look, having children's enchanted too. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't know. I have a sterile existence that ends when I die. Uh, it's very enchanting. See, but eternally, <laughs> you're good. good. No, I think it's a. It, it's 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 one of those. Something I try to tell new parents is like, because there's a real shame new parents feel when it's super difficult and it doesn't all feel euphoric. Right, right. And I, I, Laura and I have always tried to be like, You feel hey, selfish if you want, like, we, this is this is different than what we've ever had and it's hard, and yeah. you, but you feel bad for feeling that. Well, I remember, I remember like, especially we had moms come to us who had a bunch of kids and they'd be like, oh my gosh, it's the most amazing. Yeah, You're yeah. You're just going to all day and... It's it is unbelievable. It's amazing, but it wasn't necessarily the the theme park that they made it out to be. Like, hey, well, there's some yeah. really hard moments. Unlike going to a theme park where you're just gonna eat what you want all day and ride good rides, this theme park also keeps you up at night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, 
Uh, I'm working like on a haunted theme park. Yeah, like it's going to have moments where you're going to have to go do really hard things that you don't have to do. So it, it's just it's like it's okay for it to be both. A. Yeah, I had a parent that I knew and really uh, we had a conversation about that about kids, and I said I don't know the baby thing would be hard for me. I just don't know it, just crying for no reason if I could handle it. And he said, "Well, honestly, I enjoy my children a lot more." Now that I can reason with them, like I never heard a parent admit that to me. Oh, we say it all the time. We, I never, we but I never enjoy because parents are afraid to admit. You know what I'm saying? Like he was like, "Oh no, no, no! I enjoy my kids so much more now that I can go." Why are you crying? Let's talk about it. Laura has a great perspective. She always like up to now so far, she's enjoyed every new stage yeah. more than the previous because of that. Because Sadie's personality continues to develop, and yeah. now you know. Um, so yes, she can. She can articulate sassy things now. Okay, she's twelve. You know, so you, some parents you I think go, I just wish they were little again when they didn't talk. But it's like, yeah, but this is what. Oh right. Like you know, we're not raising. Or what if they? Child. We talked about this with my uh, my niece a little bit. Like she she is growing up, but she's she doesn't agree with everything that her parents agree with, even like politically. So that's that's kind of a, that could be a source of tension that I think some parents aren't ready for. They're like, oh, I just assumed they would just be a carbon copy. It's hard. But it's never that way. It's hard. Nobody's they're, that way. They're exposed to so much more in the culture right now than I think we were as teenagers it's in terms hard. of what, what's happening. And then you also, you know, you want to put the right boundaries, especially, you know, at Sadie's age, the right boundaries around to say, okay, you know, the things we, we try to teach her is you, you treat everyone with kindness. And um, there's not an excuse to not treat people with kindness, regardless of whether they, I'm going to write that down. What is it again? Kindness. I know it's crazy. It's a crazy <sighs> idea. Um, but you know, that being said, doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that happens. You you cannot agree with everything. Like there is no, there is no, there is no viewpoint, Johnny, in this world that is yeah. not offensive to someone. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're a dog person, it's offensive to cat people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, do you think that though? Well, some maybe. of them, yeah. yeah. So I'm saying, some, I think cat people not don't like being people. accused of being crazy. Like no one ever okay. accuses a dog person of being like an isolationist yeah. nut. Yeah, cat people get this thing of like, well, you must have mm. issues if you're a cat person. Yeah, and the fact that we call them cat people, dog people are like fun. Yeah. You know, cat people like have a box of poop in their house. They really do. If you have a cat, you have a box of poop. You have a box of poop in your house. If you have a dog, you may just have poop in the floor. Right. Right. So which is the jokes on whom? Exactly. That's the question. Yeah. Um, You know, David Ann Wilson, uh, we just wrote a book about to come out, Johnny, actually. This is a great segue for you. Wow. This is great. I forgot. This reminds me of a book I've co-written. This is a book. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's called No Perfect Parents. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's our sequel to their marriage book, Vertical Marriage. It's going to be on the Today Show. Um, They're going to be on the Today Show again. So I'll I'll get that date so I can watch. At any rate, they said something. They have three grown sons. And they said something that really, to your point about kids not always agreeing and that difficulty, they said, listen, you are giving – your kids building blocks Mm -hmm. with the way that you build your family, the way you build your marriage, like you're constructing something in front of them. But you have to realize a day is coming. We did this in the section on teens and young adults that a day is coming that they will deconstruct the blocks. 
Yeah. Like, that is what people do. You shouldn't be upset about that. That's what you did. Everybody does it mm-hmm. in order to move from adolescence to adulthood. The, so they're going to take down all the blocks and they're going to look at each one that you have built your life with them together. And then they're going to pick some new blocks and they're probably going to pick some of the old blocks that you built your life with, but they're not going to pick all of them probably. And they're going to start building their lives. So the thing would be like, make sure the blocks you use that they really matter to you in a way that's healthy, that you're showing. If, if, if a block, again, we'll use the elephant in the room. If the block is your faith, yeah, like the best thing for you to do is not to try to force them to build their house with that block of faith. The best thing is that block to be really essential to your life. So they see its value, yeah. that it's real for you in a way that, that matters, that causes you to not only walk in the, the things that God offers with the peace and the joy, but also the way that you see and show kindness to the world or gentleness to the world or the way you correct the world even. you know Whatever you're going to do with it, that that block of faith is relevant in a way that they'd want to build their lives with it because they see how it affects yours. So I just thought that was very interesting to not, not you know feel – I think a lot of parents are right that when, when kids begin to deconstruct, and it's it is super hard. I'm saying this on the front end of that side. Yeah. At twelve and thirteen, I mean, you know, she is exploring. The hard questions it. are coming. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I mean, she she says things now I would never you know say because I don't want to embarrass her, but um, it, it's just a it's just one of those one of those things of hey, I'm, I don't get to choose what she builds her life with. See, that's that's the reality of the lack of control. They come into your arms and you get to choose what they eat. You get to choose where they sleep. You get to choose sometimes when they sleep. If, yeah. you, if you're able to pull off a schedule, you, you get to choose what car they're going to ride in. You, like, you have to choose everything for their safety. And there's a day coming where you're going to lose that choice. That's a hard – it is a hard pill for me to swallow, but it is coming. Yeah, I mean I had a friend uh, who you know and he had five boys and he said he – always thought like it was uh nurture over nature and it was very like you you raise them up and you do the things and this will prevent them from harm Mm -hmm. or they'll end up being what you've built them to be and he goes when you have five boys and they start to grow up you realize now he goes i realize now because they're all grown now he said their personalities were they came out fully formed he goes, one was already introverted, one was already yeah. more artistic, one was already... So when you see, and, and one w- uh, was prone to like addictive behavior even, like he had one who went through an addiction. Mm-hmm. He's like, that was in... And so when you know that like, it's almost like it's 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 kind of disappointing because you're like, well, is all this work in vain? No, but it you're giving, like you said, you're giving them blocks. But it's also like, it lets you off the hook. It's freeing because you go, I don't have to take responsibility for every negative either. Yeah, the ownership. I heard a guy say the other day that how, and I, I need to see what book, I can't remember what book he was referencing. It talks about how dads, especially, have been taught that we're supposed to be the hero of our child's story. Yeah. I mean, it's deeply resonated with me when this said, like, that is actually not the role that you're meant to play. Yeah. You're actually just another character in your child's story, an important one, you know, of influence, but you're not supposed to be the hero in the, huh. neg- in the negatives of thinking of yourself. Yeah, it's hard to detach from that because, I mean, you, even as you say it, I'm like, yeah, of course, that's what you're, we're all, we all go, yep. you're thinking of legacy from day one. Yep. How is much I want to be, and then some people raise their kid, they want to they be the best friend to their kid. Uh-huh. 
some people because they want to be the I want to make sure they knew the rules and I want to make sure that they even if they come off I come off as an authoritarian now they'll remember down the road and I'll be the one that they said but you you're you're seeing yourself as the hero every time yep or the villain I see myself as a villain a lot I see I see you know I've talked about this before the fact that my child has brokenness has shocked me at first and I've now accepted oh she is human and and that I can easily say I'm not her savior but I do want to be her hero and I think that even some evangelical culture teaches us that the whole you know I think there was a lot of absentee father issues in American culture for a while and and there was you know a correction from the Christian side of it hey dads step up and be present and don't be harsh and a lot of that's really good um, the flip side is, though, yeah, you begin now to feel that this is all up to you and you begin to own. I mean, there are things I do. It, it, it's almost a, it can become crippling mm-hmm. that oh, if I say the wrong thing and you can do. And I want to be clear to this and be sensitive, like in, in matters of harshness or abuse, especially the things on the extremes here on the out on the fringes. Hopefully they're the fringes. I mean, yes, uh, untold damage by fathers especially can be done. There's no doubt that fa- fathers and mothers both hold very specific right, roles right. in development. Yeah, that's I'm definitely not, not what we mean. Yeah, I'm not downplaying it. But I just I'm mean not, this idea that you have one that's a quiet kid and one that's an outgoing kid. I was right. funny, uh, but quiet and shy. But I had these funny thoughts that I was afraid to talk about my whole childhood. I thought I felt worthless. I had really low self-esteem. That had nothing to do with how I was raised. My mom was like, if yeah. anything, she coddled me too much and thought that I was, she told me how special I was. But I still felt, I felt something was wrong. Yeah. And I felt that if I say this thing, I was terrified of being embarrassed, terrified of like if I had an oral report, everybody gets terrified of like speaking in front yeah. of public. But I was, oh, I mean, I was like so overly terrified of that. And now it's my job because yeah. I, f- I kind of cracked the code yeah. to that. But it took so long. But that was already baked in. My brother was, uh, I was a great test taker. My brother was a terrible test taker. Yep. Like school freaked him out, whereas social interaction freaked me out. He was very great socially, great with girls, very confident in his appearance. Like we were twin, we were shared, we shared the same <laughs> womb. Like it's, it's not even, so that idea, is, what I'm saying is like, it's baked in your personality and it's, it fascinates me, you know. Enneagram research says that kids, no, you're not supposed to use the Enneagram to try to identify what a child is. That's that they don't do that. But they do say that. I wonder you, if there, that'll be the new gender reveal. It'll be what number you're. What, number, what type are you? <laughs> but they do say that your kid's born a type. Like, yeah. like, that it's not something. It's just unhealthy, I think, to try to. Why they're developing, you know, you're not going to be able to tell. But but they yeah. are born a type. I think I wonder, to your point. Yeah, and I wonder if people would say that I've. Because I just said that out loud. It makes me think. I wonder if someone who knew child psychology would say, I changed my type by. Now I do this outgoing thing, but I think of myself, Mike Myers said it one time on a, um, on a talk show. He said, I'm a site specific, uh, or location specific exhibitionist. Yeah. And so, or a location specific extrovert. And I think that's what I am. Like I enjoy my job a lot. It's not like I'm like, I got to go do this thing for an hour. Then I can retreat back and no, it's all great. I love that. And I love the the green room after where I can just be like, is everybody gone? Or I can go to the table, I can shake hands and I like being, I like being around people, but also don't need it all the time. Definitely don't need it all the time. 
it's interesting. I'm exactly the same way. I'm but sorry. I wonder if somebody would say that I've ch- – because like I said, I was so terrified of the thing that I do now. Like I give an oral report three times a week right. in front of strangers yeah, who will it's... judge me and pay me or not pay me based on my performance. Yeah. Like it will determine the outcome. The arc of my life is determined by this oral report, and I'm not scared of it. I chase it. Yeah. Well, I think again, true Enneagram, I'm not a master, but they would say, one, you can't change your type. Yeah. You could either live in reaction to it, or you okay. could try to embrace. So there's a chance. Then so maybe that that's you, a, what does he call it? Phobic, a counterphobic. Right. And th- yeah, there's a counterphobic. I was afraid of was afraid of failing or being whatever, and so I at some point in my life I got more afraid of not doing the thing. Right. That's a that's a real possibility. It also could be also what you do. Of course, Laura's probably freaking out now because she'd have all the right answers, but. What you do, by the way, is not often related. I'm just going to lay down on the couch and you can tell me all my problems. <laughs> like there are there are CEOs who are all nine types. Like it's not like one type. Yeah. It's you what's know, your dominant or what's your. Right. You, what you do doesn't necessarily affect like, like as a six, which is a person who has an internal committee who's constantly, you know, at, well, I'll put this. It's constantly in session. I don't want to call it at war, mm-hmm. you know, but constantly. Every, you know, small decisions, sometimes big decisions are easier for me to make, honestly, than a, than a, the menu at Cheesecake Factory is overwhelming to me. Right. I will turn to Laura and go, pick the two things you want, one and two, and I'll get number two. You know what I'm saying? Because I would just prefer that than sitting here, but I will not make the best choice. Um, and so yeah. I trust the committees. What do you think, you know, on that? That being said, a really hard decision that seems very black and white to me, I can make pretty easily. Like big time stuff where I say, okay, there's no other option. We have to do the right thing and here's what it is. So I think site specific, I think situational reaction is a huge part of, of especially those of us who do things publicly and privately to your point. Well, I I had success at it too. So that makes, that made it a little, it got a little less scary every time I was good at it. And here's the thing. But if I was bad at it for years, I don't think I had. You know you can't fail at it, though, at this point, Johnny. You Maybe. Could, you, could, you could fail. Like, I'm not saying you have to go. Your career could stop having bookings or whatever because of whatever. Right. Momentum but runs out. But it's rare you're going to step on a stage and it's not going to work out well. Yeah. Even better than someone else. Like, it's rare. You never. I've been days that you even thought you didn't do that well. And you were still 90% better than every other comic in, in the room that was up that night. Like, that's just because you found something that you know clicks for you. Like you said, you cracked the code on that, which is which is one of those – even when you're nervous, when you find something – and this is what's the danger of finding what you do is that allowing your entire identity to be wrapped up in yeah. the success of that. Because um, then it becomes – it's now it's a safe place. Right. So do I stop pushing because I'm like, well, I know I'm good at this thing, so why would I do – why would I grow in any other area? Right. This is my – well, and, and, and to be that, a crutch or whatever. Yeah, and to that end as well. I mean, it's not even just if it ever went away or if you don't grow elsewhere. It's just that it's there's still, for me, there's still a hole inside that I think I told you this after we recorded last week. There's still something inside that never calms except in one place. So, like, I got to preach last week on Romans, and I really shared my heart. Mm-hmm. And it was I, I, when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm super alive. Like I'm very, very present. I feel like maybe my most authentic self when I'm when I'm speaking and when I'm writing. Yeah. Like I feel like this is me. Uh, I'm I'm more courageous. 
you know, uh, and in that moment I say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bold. I feel, I share a lot, you know, it's a very extroverted thing, like to your point. When I got done last week though, sometimes when there are things in my life as a pastor that are unsettled or unresolved, and right now coming out of COVID, there's a lot of that around here. I realize I naturally, I don't have a green room. I have an office. And instead of just like, I know a lot of pastors, gosh, you know, Mike Burnett, man, he would just, we'll go to a restaurant, Mike Burnett. He'll just go table to table, finding strangers, you know, and talking to them. Like when I'm done just doing that big extroverted thing, it's not that it drained me, but I, I was done. Yeah. And I went to the office, you know what I'm saying? Like, I said hi to a few people at the stage. I invite people, come talk to me. If they don't, I don't go to them <laughs> mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah, yeah. It's And, and it's a pro- – here's the thing. I'm ashamed of it. Like I feel like a bad pastor after I just preached the sermon where I felt like myself because I can't – I don't feel like I have within me to do it all. Right. Well, you're drained and now you're trying to figure out a place to go recharge. Yeah, or I'm hiding. I feel like I am. I hide. I go, well, I know that person's going to ask me about this and yeah. that person. I hide from the administrative probably side. Yeah. And Yeah, know. I mean, I wrestle with that for sure. I think, you know, if you look at it from – I look at it two ways as far as what I do. I could say, well, I found this thing I'm good at that I could whatever monetize or however you want to look at it in a capitalistic sense. That could be like the dark side of it. Well, I found this thing that I can monetize – so that I don't have to go get a real job and I'm going to do this thing. And that's what makes me feel alive. There's a bottom line thinking to it. But honestly, when I feel the best about what I do is when I have felt useful. Yeah. Like I figured out the thing that I can do that actually has a use in culture and society and it helps people. And I know that it does. And it also happens to be the thing that pays my bills, but it's more than that. Because I've done other jobs that paid my bills, and I was miserable. Yeah. There's a you. I felt I didn't feel useful when I was working the cash register at Home Depot. I felt like a cog in a wheel. Yeah, and it wasn't just that I was doing something that was like a, a, a anybody could do. You could train anybody to do it. It was I knew that it. I would not be missed. They would just plug in another guy and put an orange apron on him. Yeah. Whereas with this, I feel like I'm doing something that not everybody can do, and I feel really like it mattered. Even if it's a little thing and I encourage somebody or made somebody laugh or forget their problems for 20 minutes, whatever that is, it's, it, it does it for me. See, uniqueness is a, to me, a, a double-edged sword a little bit because I'm with you. There is something, and I think, I don't know if this is American culture or just humanity. I don't know if it's good or bad. This is why it has two sides to me. It does kind of feel like that, especially sort of postmodern culture pushes you even in Christianity to find the one thing you do that no one else can do. Yeah. It's a very leadership principle. Hey, sure. where, you know, where's, and that's where's, definitely not what I'm in. I don't mean to demean people who work. No, in, not you know at what I'm all. Saying? Like, cause I feel like that's a problem in my personality where I was constantly searching for that and felt ill. I felt, uh, like, uh, unsatisfied by the monotony. Yeah. Of a regular job. And a lot of people feel that way. But that's a problem. That's not great. See, and I don't know. that. That's what I'm saying. It led me to this, but I'm saying I don't think that it's like everybody's path. Like I know I I have friends who, you know, work great jobs in various industries. And, but, you know, I have one friend and he'll probably be listening. You know, he also really wants to work with his hands. Like it, it, it makes him feel more like himself, but making the jump (laughs) from his 
white collar job that he needs for the you know where the, his family is to something else is a really a really difficult um, process because he, he just can't he couldn't make it equivalent you know Im- immediately and so you just go and, and and then we have all the talks you know even within community we have all those talks of well how much how much is what I do supposed to we, we kind of shame ourselves and people like well listen you know you are more than what you do like yeah. we overcorrect um, I do believe David in the Bible was more than what he did but I also think you can't extract from the fact that when he was a shepherd he wrote psalms like psalm 23 and when he was a king he wrote psalms like psalm 51 you know like that it it was a different there's different seasons that brought out different elements yeah. of his life and so i i i think again we're we're probably on the fault line of everybody's contentment versus discontentment you know should we should we chase the thing that we feel makes us you know more I don't want to. I don't want to make it vapid by saying happy, because I don't mm-hmm. think it's that. For some, it might be that. There are others who think if I was just doing something different, then I would be content. And to to them, I say, yeah, but if you wait to find that, then it's always going to. I think we saw about this a few weeks back. If you wait to find the thing that wakes you up, then you're always going to need that thing to keep you awake, and yeah. that's that's also a danger. So I don't want my, whether it's being a pastor, I don't want even being a, you know, that's what's hard, a husband and father, scripturally, yeah, absolutely affect me where I am in my walk. But that's, I think it's what Jesus was saying by, hey, the, the old English is very antiquated when it says, you know, if you don't hate your father, mother, those, it doesn't literally mean hate. It means if you don't love that less than this life I have, it's not just that he's saying he's not demanding out of jealousy. I think in that scripture, some loyalty to him. Right. I think what he's saying is, is these other things cannot fully produce eternal contentment. They are gifts from me. They, they need to be in their correct priority. Right. Meaning love, you know, love. But if, if, if you don't put, if, if the thing that doesn't keep you awake is not something that never goes away or is I'm offering you something stationary, stable, secure, a foundation that cannot be shaken. So I, I don't know where – but I just tell you, I still though daily, you and I both, you less because you are doing the thing. I'm doing a, a lot of the things that I want to do. I still don't feel like that I know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Like I still have yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know because I'm not – and that's the sad part. It's almost like by the time you figure that out, <laughs> you only got who knows how many years left to really do that well. Um, but I still – Unless you floss, then you get more. Well, if you floss, you, you can have five more years. Say five more years, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Um, so I don't know, man. I mean I think it's a. I think it's okay to seek after. That's my point. Though. I think it's okay to go – what am I uniquely made to do? And well, and we're in Nashville, and we kind of have that dreamer's culture in our church, too. So we're definitely, we were p- not pushed into it. But it if I'd stayed in Knoxville, I just, there's no way that I would be doing this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Nashville, it, it fosters that thing of, like, find that thing that you that makes you feel alive and go do that. And, and you just, it feels way more likely to happen here. Yeah, but you don't. I mean, I've I mowed grass for, you know, fifteen years of my life. Yeah, and right now, Sundays I think mowing grass wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, you know, like, and if I had to, I think that's the hard part. It is a privilege to get to do creative things. Like we have to always remember. I think as long as you remember that, 
It has to be. Or it's a privilege to be in full-time ministry. My dad and grandfather were neither one ever in full-time ministry. They both worked other jobs and I always, as pastors. And I always thought that I would see guys at places when I was young and go, I can't imagine just getting paid to go to church and do pastor work every day because it wasn't a family yeah. reality. And then you do this, you know, realize I just passed 20 years being a pastor. I'm, 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 I'm in year 21 now, officially. Like I was, you know, volunteer stuff before that, but officially like. It's almost a, as old as your pool cover. Like a paid staff. Your pool and if you clean the top of my pastoral ministry. Tell you what, it's guys, brown and gray. And- it's going to show all the holes. We're going to have to replace this. Anyway, it's a. In 20 years, though, you do, you get in the mid, midway through those times or late, you go, oh, you know, you, you, you forget what a privilege it is to get paid to do this, you know, because it gets hard or you think about yeah. other things. And I think anything becomes that to some extent. And I think a job and one thing we always advise people, especially like premarital counseling, like look, a job is a job. And just because you're talented does not entitle you to get paid for that talent. That's the, sure. that's the counter Nashville overcorrection that goes way too far. You might be the best songwriter that's ever done anything. If you don't get discovered by the right people, you, you shouldn't like, it may be a shame. Oh, that's a shame that that happened. Yeah. It also happens every single day <laughs> to thousands of people. Right. And you're not entitled. It's not a, yeah. It's weird. Um, I, I was talking, talking with a comedian friend of mine about that, about how like, I had just done these commercials for the car dealership I did for a year and a half ago. They had me come out and do some more this past week for their Louisville location. So that's why I was going to Louisville. And it was, it snowed three inches the night before our shoot. So we woke up with three inches of snow on all these cars. And I was like, who wants to sell some white cars today? It was like the most brutal conditions to shoot these in. So we had to wait for it all to melt. We shot in the showroom some, but it's just like my back was hurting. And I had to wear these short sleeve shirts out on the lot. Ugh. to do the and then it, the jackhammering across the street kept interrupting every line so i had to do each line like 25 times and we'd finally get the right take because a semi would come flying by right when i finished the line it was brutal but i remember semi. thinking like it was a 12-hour day with like multiple wardrobe i mean i had to keep changing clothes and come back out so there's continuity uh yes you didn't want to look like i we shot them all in one day so you, i mean i brought like every piece of clothing i own and I just remember thinking, like, I made X for this, and then I went and did something in two days later near Cleveland, and I made more than that to talk for an hour. And I told jokes that I've been telling for whatever. I mean, I had some new stuff, but I'm saying, like, yeah, I did my act. Yeah. It was like muscle memory. I didn't look at my notes. I didn't study. I just went out and did the thing that I do, and it was great and whatever. And I just was marveling at, like, how... There's no meritocracy in any of that. Like it was just like yeah. one felt like a lot of work and one felt like no work. And there was no rhyme or reason to what I got paid for or the amount I got paid for each one of those things. Yeah. It was really weird. It's a weird feeling. It is. Yeah. Everything you do does affect everything you do. You always say that. But everything you do doesn't. It's not like a penny for minute Yeah, kind of exchange rate. Yeah. Like there are some things you're going to do in life. You're going to work hard. And I, I think we all think that monetary monetary success or in Nashville terms, mm-hmm. notoriety, I think will be the other one. 
either one should be equal to the amount of work put in or even the amount of talent. Yeah, and, and the ta- then, big time we do that. Like if yeah. I see some, I said that to someone one day, I was like, I go, I have, if I have 10,000 Twitter followers and there's a comedian that has a thousand Twitter followers, am I 10 times funnier than that guy? There's no way to know. Let me see his act. Yeah. Because I mean, there's a lot of people who have like a million Instagram followers who are just like, they're influencers and they're like talking about whatever new suntan lotion that they're, you know, hawking that day. Yeah. And they make how much ever. Does that mean that they're that more? It has no, but it, well, we catch ourselves falling into that. We're like, well, they must be. Yeah. What a crazy time for that to be the case. Like what I do believe is this. We know in our heart it's not true. That's the thing. We know if we were to sit down and say that to someone, they go, well, of course that's not how it is. But then we make decisions based on that. We go, all right. If I'm choosing, even if I'm a person choosing comics, I'd be like, how many, how many people like him? How many people follow Listen, him? Man, I'm on a lot of publisher calls right now for a project that I'm collaborating on. And it will be one of the biggest projects I've ever been a part of. And the people I'm writing with are masters of platform building. Mm-hmm. They're also masters of the thing that they're writing about. And I realize they're two different skill sets. And in learning that, and they also have a team. I mean, they're not doing, you know, they're, they're able to, to divide and conquer it a little bit. But the, the publishers, I would say, care. It's hard to know. They probably care more about the platform than the expertise. That's why you got to have something. Yeah. But there are people, I think, that publishers have published that. Well, I don't want to use it as a thing to just be lazy where you're like, what? Look, I'm funny enough. If you don't believe me, right. like, no, go out and try to. You got to do something. You got to help. You got to help the process. I don't know where the line is. I it's told, hard. I told someone the other day, and this is just me, and this it does. It feels like laziness and shame, but that's what we we're okay to, to call those things out. Now there's I, a podcast name: Laziness and Shame with John and Johnny. <laughs> um, <laughs> would you be laziness? I'll be shame. Done. Um, it, it's a. It's a. For me because I do more than one thing, like, and this again, sounds lazy and shameful. I'm sorry if I was a, if I was better at platform building, I often wonder. Yeah. And then though, when I, when I pray, I talk about when I, the only time I feel that the committee is at rest <laughs> is, you know, out when I'm really reflecting, having these moments of, of quiet with just me and God. And in those moments, I'm reminded just scripturally of what I really believe in fact, I will pray this sometimes. The Lord is my agent. <laughs> I shall not want. Like, there's a lot of things. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shepherd. But agent, in the, the, the Lord is my advocate, which is what another name for the Holy Spirit. He takes 10%, John. Oh, my goodness, does he not? Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> you, you show me an agent out there that will work for 10%, Johnny. <laughs> they all want 15 minimum. But but it's a it's a reminder of, okay, and I don't know the answer. Like, I'm working it out. I'm saying, yeah. If I'm, I'm working on book number 27 right now, okay, and most of the books, my name means nothing on them. Like, they're just, I get it. Like, I'm a collaborator, but it is a wonderful, like, career and ministry. It's both. I learn, I, I, I have learned so much. I get to meet incredible people, and I literally use it all in ministry all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it's, it's this amazing process that I never even sought after. Okay. Well, guess who brought that my way? Well, that was God. 
But then within that, does God expect me as an author? And be honest with you, I got a, this book again with Reggie coming out where I'm an actual co-author and a lot of it is in my voice. And it's a lot of thoughts on history and other things that I need to be able to support. Yeah. But I don't have time to stop and build a platform. I know it sounds, again, lazy because the people who are just naturally good at that, they don't think of it as something they stop and do. They just think it's something they do. Right. They're just. It's a part of it. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of that, I'm collaborating on two other books and trying to pastor you know, like, and trying to be a father and a husband and all those things. And I just go, look, I, I have learned, I have a limit here at this stage of life. And then when opportunities come, I, I kind of panic because I'm like, well, all I can really focus on is trying to make sure that I write the right. I mean, I had to read like 15 books just to, you know, I mean, not all of them in their entirety, but a lot of them in their entirety, just to be able to quote properly and cite statistics and research for the things we're writing on. I mean, this is a deep dive into policy and history yeah. and you know on race. So, you know, I can't do that and be like, oh, I'm gonna make sure I put out my two tweets, my two funny tweets today, so that I get you know, like it's one of the it, it's a tormenting mm-hmm. conversation within me that I feel like John, if I was gonna build a platform for you, I might use the twenty seven books you've written. You can stand on that. <laughs> Because there's a lot of boxes in your garage. That's what I guess I'm saying. <laughs> you could put we a can stage use right on like top a of Jenga it. tower. <laughs> it, it's, it, again, it's 27 books. And no, again, if they do well, great. The great yeah. thing being collaborator, Johnny, there, there's a, many, many great things. The great thing is if it does well, I get credit. Like if a book does well, they're like, well, we just, man, we, we, we love working with our writer. It's great. If the book bombs, I don't take any blame. Yeah. No one ever goes well. If the writer would have done a little better, it's, no one. They always blame the platform or the publisher or the author. That's great. <laughs> like I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole, so yeah. I get to go along with the credit. In comedy, you would be the feature act. Yeah, the show's like, not that's good. That's the best show. That's the best spot you can be in because if you're the opener, you walk out to a cold crowd to yeah. do your ten minutes. They're still ordering cheese sticks. Whatever's happening, it's brutal. It can go well, but your your job is just to get the right. crowd laughing and get their attention. You're not your your job is not to kill. In the feature, your job is not to kill, but the crowd's warmed up now. When I used to open for Tim or be in the middle of Tim's show, uh-huh. it's the dream because he's already got them just like foaming at the mouth. Yeah. Then he goes, Here's this great comedian I want to introduce you to. You walk out, you got this twenty minute spot, fifteen minute spot to just be free, run around, do whatever you want to do. No pressure. You're just a throw in. Yeah. They your name wasn't even on the ticket. Which can be can hit your ego a little bit. Like it doesn't matter how hard I kill, I'm not gonna be Tim Hawkins. Well, who cares? Who cares? I would. I loved it so much because I was like, I got to be this fun surprise for them. Yeah. And then Tim would have to come out. And if, but if Tim doesn't kill, he's not gonna work much longer. There's a lot of pressure on the headliner. Oh yeah, especially you when have he had, to kill. <laughs> he had 20 people working for the organization right. to make the whole show happen. Exactly. And he wants to come back in 18 months. Yep. Which means he has to keep writing a whole other show yeah. in order to do so. No, it's the same thing. There's pressure and then there's pressure. And I, I look, just being a writer, dude, there's pressure for it. But yeah, but you've got the tools. Like, it's a fun, it's a different feeling when you go, there's pressure to meet this deadline and I have the wherewithal to do it. Well, I can look back and go, 27 times God's been faithful I sometimes thought we weren't going to get there, but we always did. Yeah. Even in a worst case scenario where we had legal issues with some of the content, it always worked out. Um, and I'm pretty much friends with everybody I've ever written for. So even the relationships, you know, are, are, are good. 
So just stay the course. Don't That's panic. why we've never written a book. Together. Yeah, Johnny, it would destroy us. Was, you, you're not ready for this level of honesty. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, I, I, and again, and, and uh, I've said this before, the easiest voice to write in for me is somebody else's. The hardest voice to write in is my own. Oh, that's such a... It just is. And, and I do it, and I can. It's just I, I want to say too much. You're like an impressionist. You're I, like the. You're like Frank Caliendo. You can do John Madden, but can you do John Driver? I heard on a call. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, that's our show. Uh, I did hear on a call. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Remember that song? <laughs> If it's so true, I did, again, I'm writing for some Enneagram coaches. And so it is like, I was like, guys, you, are, you talk about laying down the couch. I mean, they're, yeah, like, yeah. they're unbelievable and they're insightful. And you're like, guys, the thing I'm about to say is probably going to sound, you know, like you're going to want to go really deep on this mm-hmm. and drill down, you know, but it really is. I, I can write. It's just, I don't trust my own voice yeah. to say, cause I don't trust you and I about this. There are things I don't think that I think differently now than I thought a year ago. Right. That's hard. Much less 10 years ago, much less 20. Like I wrote a book on youth ministry that no one will ever read. And I am okay with that mm-hmm. because it worked for where I was. But yeah, it's it like was, if somebody got their hands on our first CD. Yes. We'd be like, I'll give you $5 for that right now. <laughs> just don't put it in the just CD player. Don't put it in. I'll make something. First of new. all, please tell me you don't have a CD player. There's probably not a CD player, <laughs> but if you have one, please, Michael Richards did, uh, who played Kramer, but right when Seinfeld was just starting to hit, he did this movie called Coneheads, and it was based on the uh-huh. SNL sketch. Yeah. Uh, and so they made an entire two-hour movie about the Coneheads family. It was awful. It was terrible, and he was in it, and it was a total cash-in on Kramer, basically. Uh, I'll be in your movie. And he hated himself so much in that movie that if any, he said in an interview later that if anyone ever mentioned him specifically from, if anybody said, Hey, Kramer, or whatever, and waved him in on the subway, he'd be like, Hey. But if anybody said, I loved you in Coneheads, he would immediately give them $11. Because <laughs> <laughs> he felt so bad. Uh, it was uh, Beth Moore who talked about, who tweeted the other day that if you're a vocational writer, yeah. There are going to be things that you've written. And she called it like the boneyard of something. Yeah. Like the, yeah, that you're going to. You have regrets. Yeah. And it's okay. Like you just can't You know. can't not write it because of that. Because, well, I could change my position. I think when we started the podcast, I felt that way in some way. Like I don't want to say a bunch of these declarative statements yeah. and then have these sound bites out there to like throw my words back in my face in a way. Yeah. And I somehow I just let that go. I guess over time, I'm like, whatever. I think I think it's because I don't think anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, there is there's a I told you this. There's a benefit to having very little to lose. Yeah. You know, you are more free to be yourself, and that we all want a lot more. Yeah. But there is a pressure to having so much to lose. Um, I think I'm less irritated now than I was like, I think that's part of comedy too, is being a little more irritated than, or at least being, being able to articulate your irritation. Right. More than the average person. And, uh, and finding that shared irritation with a crowd too. Isn't it weird when blah, blah, blah does this. And you're like, yeah. And now I'm like, what happens when you're not as irritated? Like 2020 was such a numbing year that it, it feels like we're all coming out of a fog. Yeah, and I think it's it hurt creativity in a lot of ways in in my world, but now it's like, like I'm starting to be irritated, irritable again in a good way, 
Uh, probably. I hope it's a good way. Not just like overall, like a political climate. No, I mean, just like silly things. Like I was watching the trailer for Mortal Kombat, which they've already made once. Now they're redoing it. And the trailer comes on and I'm like, first of all, they made it ultra violent, which I'm like, all right, well, it's like the video game. They're going to be literally called Mortal Kombat. Yeah. It's Mortal Kombat. Finish him the whole thing. And I grew up with that video game. So I'm excited, whatever. Until they show the trailer, and I'm like, oh, this is the most gory trailer. This is going to be amazing. And then uh, Sub-Zero appears, and he's, his whole hand turns to ice or something. He's getting ready to blast this guy, and he goes, I am Sub-Zero. And I was like, Ugh. and I, my heart just sank. I hate. Actually, I, it didn't sink. I felt enraged. <laughs> I hate when you know the character. You wrote dialogue. Just show Sub-Zero and have him freeze somebody. When a character in a comic book movie says who they are, it's like an impressionist who's doing, I'm going to do my Al Gore, and the first thing they go is, Hey, I'm Al Gore. My name is Al Gore, and I've been to the internet. (laughs) Okay, Al Gore would never say, My name is Al Gore. Stop it. You're fired. Who wrote, like, you know what I'm saying? They did it in the Marvel movies. I'm Juggernaut. And then he runs through the wall. We know you're Juggernaut. I read the comics. I've seen Juggernaut. Maybe they're trying to capture people who haven't read the comics. Then they need to stop. <laughs> read the credits. No one says who they are. My goodness. How long Did you... Spider-Man say I'm Spider-Man? <sighs> Maybe. I don't I don't think so. He does at some point in the movie when he has to come up with a name. Yeah, like Spider-Boy but that's different. Or... Okay, that's different. I'll give you one example where it's a total exception that proves the rule. At the end of Iron Man, the first one. Because the press conference is all about, is he Iron Man? Right. And, and he reveals himself. He goes, I'm Iron Man. And it blows up. And then I am Iron Man plays, which is a funny like tie-in, the song I am Iron Man. So that's great. That's the exception that proves the rule. That's cool. Because there was question as to whether he was Iron It'd Man. It'd be like Superman saying, Clark Kent saying I'm Superman. Yes, it's his identity. Right. But when you just are a character and you are Scorpion, don't say Scorpion. Just say get over here and trust that we know... That you're Scorpion. Just say, get over Get over here. <laughs> oh, man. If you were going to throw a hook through someone's body yeah. to drag them, would you really say something as cheesy as get over here? I, I played a video gay tune growing up. But I wonder if like if he's at the movies with his, his lady friend and he does the thing where you pretend to yawn and you stretch and then he puts his arm around her. I wonder if he goes, get over here. He just whispers it like, get over here. I wonder when he calls his kids, you know right. what I'm saying? Like, hey, dinner time, go over here. <laughs> and a hook comes through the bedroom wall. Yeah. The hook should have killed the person. Yeah. The whole mortal combat, it should be called immortal you combat. You harpooned me. Right. That's not just like, oh, it took a little energy away. Right. It should be immortal combat because they don't actually. Immortal combat. Yeah. Plus, you can put in more quarters and you get more lives. Right. And why is the K in the combat? That's a little frustrating, right? Can someone tell me? Like, there's no well, connection. Well, that's like a Russian, maybe, spelling of... Isn't there a K? They use a lot of Ks for hard Cs? I don't know. You know nothing about Russian. Well, it's Konami was the game creator, so maybe that's why they made it combat, because it's Konami. It's a Konami game. I wonder if there was a Mortal Kombat with a C that was already taken somewhere, like <sighs> .com. It's like an they infringement. Were trying to, I, you know, again, there is a there is a quality corner down here. Oh, right. Right down off of um, And it's a 2Ks. Ferry. It's like that's 1K oh, away wait, from trouble. Let me tell you something. It's even worse. It's quality. K-W-A-L. 
I T Y corner with a K. Oh, no, so they even left out They've the left U. They've left three letters now. But I guess if you'd have done K U, it would have looked kind of cool. I don't know. Quality. Do you know that my road name is. Can I say this? I shouldn't say the name of my road. Why? Well, none, oh, not, none of people listen, surely. Well, what are they going to do? Just go down your street until they see your house? Maybe. Are you I afraid don't... of being stalked? I don't know. Man, Wouldn't that got, be great if you got I was a big really, enough? You got a really high opinion of yourself. <laughs> we'll just go until we'll see a new pool liner, and they're like, there's this clown. <laughs> this fancy new I pool liner. I see a liner. dirty pool liner. Out <laughs> it's, out by the, it's out by the street. <laughs> they pick it up and like sniff it. Like, what are they? What is the deal with these gross people sniffing your pool liner? Oh my gosh! Uh, anyway, the road name is spelled G U I L L. Mm-hmm. How would you pronounce it? Gill, but it's Gill. I say Gill, but apparently we've heard the other day. Laura goes. Someone said who's a, like a true Mount Juliadite. Yeah, that it's Gwill. Gwill. And I said, I'm not saying Gwill because, and this is this is now the elitist, horrible person to me. I don't trust that the people who yeah. were here 50 years ago were pronouncing it correctly then. Yeah. Even if it was their own last name, I don't trust that. Like, we've messed up the English language so I badly. I start pronouncing it Guile. <laughs> Just to throw it. How do you spell that, sir? <laughs> K-W. Uh, yeah, I don't get the Mortal Kombat with the K, man. Because let's have the creators with K. On you can the come show, to the show. We'll, and tell yeah. us, please, why there is a K in Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat. Not a sponsor, by the way. We're yeah. not trying to. I know no. it's probably an ultra violent movie, not for kids. And technically, why is it not in Mortal Kombat? Since you do things to them that should kill them, and they don't die. Well, they're superheroes, Sean. But then again, even more so, Im- Immortal Kombat, Sub Zero. <laughs> every show, you know, we introduce ourselves every show. We did, but that's no, we the, didn't today, though. It's for the new. Hey, guys, I'm John. I'm Johnny. <laughs> We do, we we do it though for the new person. Yeah, because they never. There are still new people. We have, by the way, we got a review. What? Yeah, we should hit the end of the show. We need to read our new. Not we get a this lot is, of reviews. I'm saying we got to good encourage review. you to leave a review, listener, because you might make the show. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go look it up right now. When you get shows, you get shows that don't do things in real time like this. It's uh-huh. a whole other. Ball game. This is literal real time because we're releasing this the day we record it. Yeah, I was in Atlanta all weekend, and uh, you. Oh, by the way, we <laughs> told you the other day we ranked. I don't even know where we ranked in Apple Podcasts in the Ukraine for comedy. You see what I'm saying? Like Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Come on, guys. Uh, all right, I'm opening it up right now. So yeah, thanks thanks to all of our Ukrainian listeners. Quite honestly, that's awesome. That's unbelievable. Yeah, man. I'm like, really I don't believe it. I don't... Yeah, you think it's There's a no mistake. reason for you to lie, but I just don't... Yeah. Johnny thinks it's a mistake. I think they're just throwing us a bone. Like, tell them they're charting in Ukraine. So <laughs> they keep going. They'll keep going. Um, oh, wow. We have a couple new ones, actually. Oh, is one going to be negative? Is it like a compliment sandwich? If, uh, no, here's... A, these are five stars. Hi, I'm 14 years old. I'm a writer, Christian, humorist, and activist. I recently started a podcast with my friend. We talk about... That's a lot of things to be as a 14. I wasn't any of those things as a 14 year old. Uh, They're talking about music, politics, theology, comedy, mental health, and sports. We're very excited. Both huge fans of your show and use your show as a model. Could you give us any advice on how to get comfortable and successful? We're not comfortable or successful. No, and I think you're already there just to have that many things that you're doing. That's awesome. Uh, Just do your thing, man. I mean, here's the thing. Longevity. Oh, again, you're never going to feel comfortable or successful. So just do what you think is right the best you can and right. maybe build your platform better than we do. You look up one day and you're just like, I did it. 
You look up one day and you're like, wow, we're still doing this. Yeah. <laughs> no, hey, thanks for that. Uh, and thanks for your five-star review. And good luck to you. Uh, look forward to, you know. Yeah, I can't wait to hear your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Um, this one's negative. It's a long pause. Uh, <laughs> shamgles. These people must be stopped. His review says shamgles or her review, shamgles and small talk. If you like shingles and workout addiction, this is the podcast for you. JK. Uh, I mean, those things come up, but that's not what makes this show great. Equal parts hilarious and meaningful. I cannot recommend this podcast enough. Well, thank you. That's uh, Oh, because we talked about your shingles, yeah. Iris. And we called it shamgles. Which you're good now, right? Oh, yeah. You're I'm, not I have a new, anymore? It's like immortal combat for me now. Oh, yeah, you can't ever like, get shingles again, right? No, actually, I can get it. Oh, just don't. You have to not be stressed. It's like you're the Hulk. It's like technically. Don't make me, don't make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> like me if I was angry, I just get sick. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being, yeah. Uh, uh, we had another one, uh, fun and thoughtful. Oh, I have three new five star reviews. Wow, it's great. This podcast is both humorous and thoughtful. I love the balance between funny, laid back, and serious conversation. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that from you guys. So, some new reviews. Maybe you should go leave a review, listener. Yeah, and you can find all our archived episodes, over 150, on talkaboutthatpodcast.com. Yeah. Also, our Patreon's there if you want to kick in a couple of shekels. Yep. Help us uh, keep this thing going. Uh, that we appreciate that. We put all that money into a little, you know, marketing budget, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, means a lot. Yeah, appreciate you being a part of it. And um, Johnny, you're um, you're doing a lot of shows right now. Mm, well, April was pretty good compared to 2020 for sure. And uh, I've got a thing this Friday. I'm in Ella J, Georgia. Okay, which is one of those towns you'd learn about when you go there to do comedy. Is that on 24? Because I just drove to Atlanta. I think so. It's near Chattanooga. Okay. So, yeah. And then uh, I'm, I have a Nashville show on Friday. Is that at Zaney's? It's at a, a church called Generation Church. Oh. Yeah. I think it's one of those churches where it's like a lot of people who are big in CCM end up in these churches in Franklin Cool Springs area. Right. So you'll be like, my worship pastor has Dove Awards. And you're like, holy moly. Yeah. It's like it's one of those kind of churches. So it's a really cool place. So yeah, it's a it's a show where uh, a bunch of other comics are on it, and a, a buddy of mine, Paul Aldrich, is uh, puts oh, yeah, on these I shows. Like Paul. He's great. Yeah, nice so we're doing uh, doing a show with him, doing a few a few minutes on that show with uh, my buddy Rick Roberts and uh, some other comics. So oh, be great. I love Rick. He's the best. He's great. So that's Friday, and uh, yeah. So if you're in Nashville area, come say hello. Friday it's, night. Yeah, it's on. I think you can get tickets on my website. Yeah, so that'd be this Friday, May, uh, the, April the thirtieth. April thirtieth. April thirtieth. Yeah. So yeah, check it out. It's in Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, that's great. <laughs> it is. I am. I'm gonna come out and introduce my. I am Johnny, Johnny W. Just in case I didn't know. Yeah. We just said your name. You didn't need to do that. You know, we insulted the the Mortal Kombat people so much. I don't think they'll come on now. Uh, you're probably right. <sighs> I always got to. I did read a stat in a book that hasn't released yet, but I got my hands on it. It's unbelievable that people. I got to. I'm sorry to remember the exact stat, so this is worthless. But it was something like 90 percent of people, mm-hmm. if they in your conversation, if you're having a conversation of noteworthiness about an actual thing, yeah. if they feel insulted, there's like a 90 percent chance that you will not get through to them on any level by any other. Oh, thing. that makes sense. And so, which is where we all are as a culture, right? right? It's all us versus them anyway. Yeah. I didn't find that exact stat, but yeah, I thought about how many times, because my go-to move is if I'm really angry is to try to make you feel stupid and make uh-huh. me feel smart, you know? Yeah. And if I make you feel that way, you're not going to hear anything. You're else. done. Like you're done you'll listening. hear me, but you won't change your mind. 
Yeah. You can't change someone's mind if they feel insulted. It's basically what it's saying. And the opposite is true. I think we I joke with Nate Bergazzi about it. Like if somebody approaches you and they are a fan of like my comedy, yeah, I am a hundred percent more likely to think of that person as like a well reasoned like person. Right. If oh, you if you're, like, nice. if you're like if you're That's smart. like you are so funny, I'm like, this this guy gets it. <laughs> Not just gets me. This guy gets it. <laughs> he gets he gets the world. Yeah. yeah. He understands how things work oh, around absolutely. here. <laughs> oh absolutely. I would never it'd be hard for me to like hear bad things about that guy. They're like, that guy Although I'm actually suspicious of people who over compliment my service. Okay, there is that. Yeah. yeah. If I get you're, well, you're used to that because you also Know that there's that two side two facedness to sometimes with church people where they're like, yeah, that's so great, and then but you know they'll turn on you just like they turned on, yeah. Because sometimes they say that like, I so love it so much when you preach, John, because oh, well, my and goodness. you're like, yeah, but that's what you do. You're right. going to do this to you came from another church where you said that about somebody. You're going <sighs> to. It's like if you get cheated on, you know, or if like you, if you if you start your relationship and you cheated, yeah. You've got to be constantly worried that your new partner is going to cheat on you because you're, yeah. you've you put that out into the world like you're. Are you speaking from experience, Joey? No. Okay. Because I just. <laughs> you gotta, I heard this somewhere. <laughs> I read it in a new book that I'm working on about cheating. <laughs> hey guys, hey thanks for hanging out with us today. We enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you next week on Talk About Sub Zero. Tired of parenting advice and news headlines that are more confusing than assembling IKEA furniture, we've got just the podcast for you. My dear friend Abby and I are here to help you navigate the parenting roller coaster. Should your kids be on social media? What should you tell a friend facing an unplanned pregnancy? These are just some of the many questions we tackle on our podcast. Subscribe to The Real Deal of Parenting wherever you find your podcast.